You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. As we've been looking at the 11th chapter of Hebrews on that uh, chapter of faith, and uh, it's really in, it's, it's that particular chapter 11 that really enables us to do what Hebrews chapter 12 is uh, calling us to. Now, if you, again, look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it begins, therefore. Now, that word, again, it's, it's an important word, and what it's really trying to say to you is, as a result of, is it may be another way to think about that. So what it is saying to you as you get ready to read what you're about to read there in chapters uh, 12, um, it's saying to you, take into consideration what you have just read prior to chapter 12. Therefore, as a result of this, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and again, we know that from Hebrews 11, because those are the witnesses that are being referred to there in verse 1. Those are the men and the women who have lived by faith. So it is also as we live by faith, like those in Hebrews 11, that we are then enabled to lay aside every weight. You can't do this without faith. You cannot do this and not be walking in faith, is what he's trying to say. And sin, which clings so closely. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. It is faith in Christ, in God's promises, that enables us to do what Hebrews chapter 12 is calling us to and so much more. So we've been looking at all these men and women that are listed there in Hebrews chapter 11, and this morning we're going to look at another one of those great witnesses of faith, a man by the name of Joseph. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22, again, it just has this one statement regarding his faith, and it says, by faith Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his burial. Now, if you know anything about the life of Joseph, and I'm not going to get so much into that this week, but if you know anything about the life of Joseph, it is interesting to me that this particular event is what it highlights as an example of Joseph's faith. That's just kind of bizarre to me as I read that. I'm like thinking, there are so many other areas in Potiphar's house, in slavery, uh, there are just so many examples of great faith that Joseph displayed. Why is this the example that they point out at the end of his life? There's so much that happened throughout his life that is just such a stellar example of faith. Why are we looking, why are we asked to consider this? So where are we in the series of events we've been covering these last few weeks? Well, last week we talked about things where Jacob, remember his sons and all of their families, they moved to Egypt after a worldwide famine has broken out. 
Now, the sons of Jacob, here there is plentiful grain in Egypt. So Jacob sends off his sons to go and see if they can buy some of the grain to keep them from starving. Remember when they arrive in Egypt, they discover their long-lost brother Joseph, who they had sold into slavery. He had risen to second in command there in Egypt. He's right underneath the Pharaoh. And through a series of events, he invites them to move from where they are, come to Egypt, live with him, and he would take care of them. So at the age of 130 years old, Jacob pulls up stakes, takes his family, and they leave this land that God had given to them as an inheritance, and they move to Egypt. Now, 17 years later, remember, Jacob dies, and following the charge uh, and the blessing of his sons uh, in Genesis 49, he gives them some very, very specific instructions there. And one of the charges that Jacob uh, gives to his sons prior to his death regards his burial as well. Genesis 49, beginning in verse 29, it says, Then Jacob charged them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. There I buried Leah, the field and the cave that is in it were purchased from the Hittites. So following that charge, he gives those instructions to his son, Jacob dies. Now, even though Jacob had been living in Egypt for the last 17 years, he's been reunited with his son he thought was uh, killed, um, and Jacob's family will continue to live there in Egypt beyond his death, But Jacob instructs him and says, look, when I die, I want to be taken back and I want to be laid to rest in the land that God gave us, our ancestors, as an inheritance. Now, the reason this is so important is because Jacob has not forgotten the promise that God gave to him, to his ancestors, beginning with Abraham, regarding that land that would be their own. Now, I tell you this because you'll notice in Hebrews 11.22, Joseph makes a similar request to Jacob regarding his death and final resting place. And again, just like Jacob, Joseph's request is also based on a very specific promise that God gave to him. And so the decision these men make, I I just point this out because I just think it's interesting that that Joseph makes this statement, Jacob makes this statement regarding his death, his final resting place. Joseph does the same thing because they are in a foreign land. So in Genesis 50, you have the story of Joseph. I'm just kind of giving you a history lesson here today. So... So in Genesis 50, you have the story of Joseph and his brothers. They take the body of Jacob and they go back to Canaan. And they bury their father exactly where he asked to be buried. They honor his request. When they return from the funeral, the burial, Joseph's brothers really begin to worry. Remember, they've not been kind to Joseph. 
Joseph is in Egypt through, you know, a series of events. They orchestrated um, there, and they're kind of worried, how's Joseph going to treat us now that dad's not here to kind of keep him in line? So in Genesis 50, beginning in verse 15, it says, but now that their father Jacob was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, now I don't believe that, that he did. Um, there, this, this is, we're just going to kind of create a story here uh, that will help us kind of convince you not to take revenge. So he says, before your, <coughs> your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the wrong they did to you. So you see how self-serving this is, right? For their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Then his brothers came, threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. That's a great line. Uh, we, we hear that line a lot. There's just a lot of spiritual truth in that. What someone else may mean for your destruction, God can take that, turn it, and use it for your good, is what he's saying to him. He says, no, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. He's a gracious man here. I mean, this is a God-fearing, gracious, merciful man. This is how we should be treating uh, those of us that are believers. This, is, this should be our response to those who do us wrong. This is a great lesson here. So Joseph and his brothers and their families continued to live in Egypt. Joseph lived to the age of 110. Now jumping down to verse 24, if you're following along with me in your Bibles. Soon I will die, Joseph tells his brothers, but God will surely come to help you and lead you out of this land of Egypt. He will bring you back to the land he solemnly promised to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph, like Jacob, made the sons of Israel swear an oath. And he said, when God comes to you and leads you back, you must take my bones with you. So Joseph died at the age of 110. The Egyptians embalmed him, and his body was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Then the, the book of Genesis ends with that. I mean, that, that is the final verse there in the book of Genesis. The next book that follows is the book of Exodus, and we all know what that led to, right? Book of Exodus opens, verse 1, these are the names of the sons of Israel. That is Jacob. Remember, there becomes a, an encounter between God and Jacob, and, and God changes his name from Jacob to Israel. So these are the names of the sons of Israel who moved to Egypt with their father, each with his family. And then it lists the sons there, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Ishgar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. In all, Jacob had 70 descendants. So there's 70 of them now living in Egypt, including Joseph, who was already there. In time, Joseph and all of his brothers died, ending that entire generation. 
But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. I mean, they're, they're fertile. They are multiplying. They are growing as a people and a nation. Remember, uh, with, with Jacob, there were just 70 of them. I mean, they are multiplying um, exponentially, okay? And they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful or, or, or numerous and filled the land. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. Let me just pause here and make this observation because I didn't really know this until um, I kind of was working on this sermon. From the time of Joseph's death until the birth of Moses, 64 years separate those two events. Now, I, I, I kept going back and doing the math because I'm thinking it's got to be 600 years. It can't be 64 years between the death of Joseph and the birth of Moses. Because by the time Moses is born, the Egyptians have already enslaved the Israelites, and they're already killing all of the male Hebrew babies to try to kind of, you know, this was their population control over the Israelites. It took a little over 60 years. That is not a long time. For the memory of Joseph and all that he did to lead Egypt through those seven years of famine, it's just completely wiped out of people's memory and history. In over a, a little over 60 years, the nation of Israel basically goes from being a very blessed people because of Joseph's godly leadership to being enslaved and their, their male ch sons, children, infants being murdered. They go from that to being enslaved because the memory of Joseph had been forgotten within a period of three generations. It's not like Joseph is some insignificant, low-level government employee. I mean, he served as the second in command. I mean, Pharaoh's top dog, next one in charge, Joseph. I mean, this is, you can't get any closer to the top unless you're going to be Pharaoh. And is credited not with just saving Egypt, but man, he saved so many other nations, including his own nation of Israel, through the abundant grain that he was able to grow, to produce, and to store. Again, my point being is if we're not careful in passing on the Christian faith to future generations, if we're not being faithful in teaching future generations the Bible stories and what they teach us, and this is why a lot of times I, I go into the background, into the history of their stories. I, I want you to know their stories. I want you to know what they went through, what they struggled with, what were their victories. Because they really teach us something about God and about our relationship with him. And if we're not careful, do you realize it won't take long for it to be forgotten and then to be replaced with something 
entirely different. I, I thought about this, and just that whole concept of that three generations, and it really kind of struck me. I'm not a genealogist. I really have not really ever done any, you know, digging um, into the roots of, of my family or our ancestry or anything like that. But I can just tell you from my own experience, I obviously have knowledge of my mom and dad. Amen? Okay. Um, I have good knowledge of their moms and dads, uh, more my dad's mom and dad than my mom's mom and dad because they, my mom's mom and dad died pretty early on. But my dad's mom and dad lived for, for a number of years, uh, and I was old enough to kind of grow up with them and know them. Okay, so I, I have some pretty good knowledge about them. You know what? When I get to um, my grandma and grandpa's mom and dad, I know nothing. I honestly can't even tell you their names. That, that's the third generation. So I was, I was thinking about that, and I was like thinking, wow, that is possible for his memory to have been wiped out within three generations. Back to Exodus 1. Thank you for letting me share that. Pharaoh said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us. They are stronger than we are. We got to make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't and war breaks out, they'll join our enemies and fight against us. They were really paranoid, obviously. Then they will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build cities as supply centers for the king, but the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. Obviously, the Egyptians had knowledge of this. The Israelites apparently didn't realize, hey, we don't have to put up with this. There's more of us than them. We're stronger than they are. And, and so they're, they're, they're kind of just not I guess, understanding or seeing what the Egyptians were. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all of the works in the field. They were ruthless in all of their demands. So the slavery begins. The nation of Israel is enslaved to Egypt and would continue, as you know, until Moses, uh, who we'll talk about next time, would come and deliver them, and he just kind of leads them. Them out of Egypt back into that land that God promised him. Now, that's the background. I had to give that to you just so that it really kind of helps, uh, I think, partially begin to make sense of Hebrews 11.22. Because like I said, of all of the events that happened in Joseph's life, I just find it interesting that when Hebrews is looking for a great example of faith, they point to this. And I, 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 it just didn't make any sense to me until I really kind of began to study it out. As most things in the Bible do. If you, you know, kind of get to something you don't understand it or you're confused, study it. Uh, God will give you revelation, will give you insight, and you you'll go, ah, I learned something. This is great, neat. So Joseph comes to the end of his incredible life. It is just kind of, again, full of ups and downs. There's a lot of trials and tribulations. I mean, he has just these incredible low valleys, uh, you know, in prison. Um, he has these incredible victories, obviously rising to the second of command in Egypt. But he focused on one particular promise. And this is where it began to make sense to me what Hebrews was doing, or yeah, what Hebrews 11.22 was doing there. And so he kind of goes back to, and he alludes to it, following 
this final address to his brothers in Genesis 50. And, and I read that to you earlier, but let me just remind you what he said. He said, soon I'm going to die, Joseph tells his brothers, but God will surely come to you and lead you out of this land of Egypt. He's going to bring you back to the land he solemnly promised to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. Then Jacob, or Joseph, made the sons of Israel swear an oath, and he said, when God comes to help you and lead you back, you must take my bones with you. Now, at this point in the story, I'm sure his brothers, as they're listening to him on his deathbed, I'm sure that they're kind of thinking, leaving, going back? Why would we do that? We like it here. There's lots of food here. We, we kind of have put roots down here. We've, we've been here now for a number of years. This is home for us. So when they hear Joseph talking about this, God leading you out, God taking you back, I'm sure they're kind of thinking, ah, okay, we like it here, we're staying here, we're not going anywhere. And so when Jacob uh, and his family moves to Egypt, they're reunited with Joseph, and then Pharaoh tells Joseph in Genesis 47, 5, he says, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father, your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and brothers in the best of the land, okay? Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my cattle. So again, as Joseph is preparing to die, and is talking about God coming to lead them back. They must have been thinking, why would we ever want to leave here? I mean, we, we live in the best part of Egypt. It is the most fertile, the most productive, the most beautiful part of Egypt. Why would we ever leave? So what does Joseph know? What could he possibly be referring to here? I mean, what's going to happen that would ever cause them to want to leave enough that Joseph makes this point to his brothers prior to his dying? What is Joseph referring to here is he is referring to a prophetic word that was spoken by Abraham over 200 years before Joseph kind of latches onto it and begins to speak about it. In Genesis 15, beginning in verse 12, as the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came down over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure, or it is a surety, it is a guarantee, that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end, they will come away with great wealth. That is a prophetic word, and that is exactly what Joseph is zeroing in on. And that was... That is an incredibly great faith to remember, to cling to a promise that was given over 200 years ago. And obviously what Abram is referring to there is Israel's enslavement in the nation 
of Egypt, and, and he, he gives that word hundreds of years before it ever comes to pass. And I'm sure at the time as Abram's getting that word, he has no idea God is referring to Egypt or that it would involve Joseph. But just at some point in the history of the nation of Israel, this is what's going to happen to him. And Joseph never lost sight of that word, that promise, that prophetic word that was spoken by Abraham hundreds of years ago. So this particular prophetic word must have been given but obviously it was given to Abram. Abram passes it on to his son Isaac. Isaac passes it on to his son Jacob. Jacob passes it on to his son Joseph. They, they talked about it. They said, we want you to remember here is a word, a prophetic word, a promise that God spoke to Abram. And we're just going to pass it down through the generations because we don't want you to be taken by surprise. We don't want you to be caught unawares. We want you to know that, that when it happens, there is a promise of deliverance. There is a promise of blessing in that. And this is why Jacob makes the request of having his body taken back to Canaan to be buried with his ancestors. Why? Jacob knew and understood that word. He remembered that word from Abram. He knew that this was not going to be anything permanent. So Jacob knows at some point the nation of Israel, they're going to be led back out of Egypt. They're going to be taken back to the land that God had promised them. And Jacob wants his body taken care of, and he wants it taken there at the time of his death. So at the end of his life, Joseph also remembers, and he says, here, I'm going I'm to give you this promise. It's been passed down to me. I'm going to pass it down to you so that when the time comes, and I know that this is unthinkable to you at this point, this juncture in your time here in Egypt, living in this wonderful land of Goshen, I know it's the furthest idea from your mind, there is going to come a time where God is going to lead you out, and it's going to be a situation you are going to want to be led out of. Now, the reason, again, this is so important to understand is Joseph goes through a lot of terrible events in his life in Egypt. And Pastor Mark's going to talk more about those events in greater detail next week. But I want you to understand that when these horrific events from Joseph's life begins to unfold, and again, it starts there when his brothers, you know, throw him in that pit. They're going to leave him there for dead. They can't stand his, you know, crying and his pleading for help. And so they see abandoned of gypsies coming and they decide to sell him into slavery there. They take him to Egypt where the, uh, he becomes a servant in Potiphar's house. He's thrown in prison for a crime he didn't commit. And there's just all of these horrific events unfold in the life of Joseph. Now the amazing thing is throughout Joseph's life, throughout his testimony, you read over and over and over, the Lord was with Joseph. Even in times where you and I would feel like, man, I feel forsaken. I'm in prison. I was accused of a crime I didn't commit. I feel like God has abandoned me. Not Joseph. He just kept that testimony. The Lord is with me. So throughout his trials, tribulations, ordeals in Egypt, he just had to keep reminding himself that all of this is a part of God's plan. God is in control. And as bad as it had gotten for Joseph, he knew it's going to get a whole lot worse for the nation at some point. 
And Joseph reached this point in his life where things, you know, began to turn around. He gets out of prison. Again, he just, you know, makes his way up the chain of command there in Egypt to the, you know, second person in command. But he knew darker days were ahead for the nation of Israel. So he wanted them to remind you. I just want to remind you guys, there's this promise. Clear back in Genesis 15. I know it's been hundreds of years ago. I know we would be kind of tempted to think, that, yeah, he didn't know what he was talking about. It's so long ago. But God had given Abraham some insight into the plans and ways of God. And, and that was just passed on to the generations. And so Joseph does his due diligence and he says, brothers, I just want you to remember, remember this promise. The same is true for us today. There are many many promises that are made to us. And we've been really kind of highlighting this book, 199 Promises of God. There's more than 199 in the Bible, but these are probably some of the better top, I shouldn't say better, like, you know, they're, we rate them. Um, but these are probably just some of the more ones that are maybe a bit more common. So I would just encourage you, we've uh, been selling out of these every week. Um, so we've got more out there, $2. If, if you have, the, the beautiful thing about this, you, know, you talk about giving, is, you know, some of you gave $10 for the book. Some of you couldn't afford any. When, when everything kind of folded out last week, uh, we, we spent $160 to get the books, and we got 164 Isn't that cool? God is good, amen? Jason pocketed the other four, in case you're wondering. But again, the Bible has so many great promises for us. And again, some of these promises, they were made thousands and thousands of years ago. But they are still promises that pertain and affect us today. Even though they were spoken many, many, many generations ago. They are for us, and they are for future generations. No matter how old they are, God never forgets one of his promises, and neither should we. I love that Joseph never forgot that promise, that prophetic word that Abram made there in Genesis 15. And one of the things that sustained Joseph in his times of trouble and distress was remembering the promises and dreams that God had given to him. And just knowing, God, you're with me. And knowing that despite all that he was going through, that God was going to be faithful to his promises. God was going to be faithful to him. And that is why knowing the promises of God, getting the promises of God yourself for your own life, for your particular needs, are so important. There are times where we find ourselves in difficult, troubling circumstances, kind of like Joseph did. And it can become discouraging. And in those times, we're, we're tempted to just question God's presence, his promises. We can be tempted to kind of think, God has aban abandoned me. God's using this to punish me. And we need that undeniable faith that Joseph had. And regardless of what he went through, he constantly kept the promises and what I loved about that one promise there in Hebrews 11.22 is it was one of those promises that was made so long ago where, again, it would have been tempting to just forget about it, tempting to think, oh, Abram didn't know what he was talking about. 
And that's why you find that phrase, the Lord was with Joseph throughout his story. He was constantly reminding himself of that truth and that promise. We have a promise like that today. Did you know that? Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, he said, I'm with you always, even to the end of this age, your dispensation. We need to constantly be reminding ourselves, no matter where you're at in your walk, your journey with God, we need to be constantly reminding ourselves of that truth. No matter where I go, no matter what I go through, I am not going alone. Jesus is with me. He is for me. He is interceding on my behalf. The good news is, is when the Israelites were finally led from slavery in Egypt by Moses to the promised land, they did take the body of Joseph with them. And they also were able to take many other possessions including silver, gold, clothing, livestock. Egypt was severely judged for their harsh treatment of Israel, just as God promised to Abram. Just as God was faithful to them, to all generations, he will also be faithful to fulfill his promises to us. Amen? This, again, we want to make sure that if you're here this morning... It is so important, no matter what you're going through, whatever difficulty, whatever struggle, trial that you're going through, I'll guarantee you there is a promise in this book that will directly speak to the issue, the struggle that you're going through. And as you just get a hold of that promise and you just begin to personalize that, you just begin to acknowledge, God, this this promise is for me. This promise is for my situation, my circumstance. I'm claiming this promise for me. As you just begin to do that and to stand upon that promise, what it does is, man, you'll, you'll kind of begin to see the fruit of Hebrews chapter 12. You're just going to begin to lay aside those things that are easily entangling you, that sin that kind of trips you up. As you just begin to stand upon the word of God, as you just begin to just acknowledge, God, you are with me, you are for me, you're interceding with, you know, you're going to basically be able to kind of just let a lot of the sin that's kind of getting you bogged down, you're going to break free of that. That's the, that's the power of the promises, the, the word, the presence of God in your life. And so this morning, we just, again, want to encourage you, if you've not picked one of these up, um, suggest a donation, $2. Uh, if you don't have it, just take the book. We'd rather you have the book, have the promises, than us, the $2. Um, because I know that God, through some of the other generous givers, God will make up the difference just like he always does. So again, I want to just encourage you, if you don't have one, get one. Uh, if you'd like to get one for a friend, a family member, co-worker, uh, one up. We'd, we'd love to just get this uh, into your hands. Also, just kind of want to just, I, I want to end with this, this challenge. Some of you here this morning may have promises of God that were given to you maybe a long, long time ago. Maybe some of you maybe had a prophetic word spoken over you as a child, and you're aware of that word, that promise. I just want to encourage you this morning, if, if there are, are some of you that maybe have given up on that because it was so long ago, it's been decades ago since God made that promise, it's never come to fruition I'm here to tell you, it will. It will. Joseph's testimony, that's, that's why I said that's what was so incredible about his faith. He did not give up on a promise that was made 200 years ago. 
Do not give up on a promise that God has made you that maybe was given a decade, two decades ago. There are promises that God gave me um, early on in my Christian walk that are still being fulfilled today. And I don't believe that I will see the fullness of those promises until I'm like Joseph on my deathbed. Then I will see the totality of that word fulfilled. There are just some promises that, that, that God, that, that they're just ongoing fulfillment promises. So I, I just encourage this morning. I want to pray for you this morning because I want to pray for those of you that maybe there is a promise that God gave you a long, long time ago. And maybe you've forgotten it. Maybe situations have kind of just caused you to just think that is never going to happen. And I just want, I want the Holy Spirit to reach down into the recesses of your heart, your history. And I, I want to ask God if there are any lost forgotten promises in this room this morning that by the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit, God is going to bring those back with incredible freshness um, this morning. Amen. Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, just again for Joseph's great faith. And God, there are so many things that Joseph's life could have been used as an example of great faith, and yet God, Hebrews chose to highlight a a, a promise that you had given to his ancestor, Abram, 200 years ago. And God, how he never forgot, and God continually clung to that promise, just as Isaac and Jacob did before him. And Father, I just pray right now, Lord, that there may be some here this morning who have received a promise, a prophetic word, that God was spoken over them, Lord, just something that maybe you spoke in them, and God, because maybe it didn't come to happen immediately or in the near future, they have forgotten about that and that they have moved on. And so, Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would just reach into the recesses of people's hearts, their memory, their spirit. And Father God, if there are any lost or forgotten promises that have been given to anyone here, I pray now that you would unearth that, you would bring that back to their remembrance that, God, you would just again just set their heart ablaze with that promise again and say, thank you, Lord. I had forgotten that, but I thank you, Lord. You never forget your promises. They are yes and amen. And, God, I declare that over this promise again, yes and amen. Father, I just ask, Lord, again, help them to retrieve and just to restore any of those lost or forgotten promises. And God, I pray, Lord, that like Joseph, you'll just give them faith to stand and to believe and trust that you are God, that you are a good God, and that you're for us, and that you want to bless us. And Father, we just thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.